0: Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast, I'm your host Jake Devereaux and today I am joined by Brian Joyner of BP Boston. Brian, how are you my friend? I'm good, how are you? I am well, um, I am excited about the draft that is currently happening, as excited as you can get about the MLB draft, which is sort of the uh, the... Redheaded stepchild of all of the uh, the drafts out there. Apologies to all redheaded stepchildren, um, but you know there's not a lot of fanfare about it, and especially this year with the Red Sox picking uh, 24th overall with their first pick. You know, it's we don't have the luxury of the uh, the top 10 picks that that the Red Sox have had in recent years. So I guess that's a good thing. It means the Red Sox have been winning.
1: Yeah, and for that reason, I've sort of come around on the MLB draft a little bit uh, because, frankly, because the Red Sox have drafted in the last few – and when I say few, I mean like 10 years really well. I mean, I remember uh, the Benintendi pick like it was yesterday and now the dude's playing every day. Now, that is – he's obviously exceptional, but – there's a chance we see the you know especially the top two guys a lot sooner than it feels and just because unlike in the nba and the uh nfl we know we're going to see those players the next year because frankly they don't really have a choice to do it uh it's not really that long it's just that the baseball season is so long that it's it's hard to even conceive of a year and a half from now but you know it's possible you know a lot of these pitchers especially uh, can come up and get a couple innings uh, in the following September. So uh, yeah. for that reason, I've come around on it. So I'm, I'm more excited than I usually am for this uh, prospect talk.
0: Yeah, a lot of the talk going into the draft, too, was about which direction the Red Sox were going to move in. And um, I listened to a, a great podcast that all you guys out there should – check out if you're into the Sox Prospects at all, is um, SoxProspects.com has their own podcast, and I was listening to them, and and they had a guest uh, from Baseball America on, J.J. Cooper, um, and he was kind of guessing that they might take a college arm, which is something that they haven't done in a really long time. Uh, They haven't done that since 2011, uh, when they took Matt Barnes as uh, a college pitcher out of the University of Connecticut. Um, with their first-round selection. So they did do that this year. I'm going to grossly mispronounce his name, Tanner Hawk. Um, He's a 6'5 righty out of Mizzou with a big fastball. Um, Sort of a three-quarters arm slot delivery here. Um, Fastball has been graded all the way up to a 70. Secondaries uh, are not impressive at the moment. Um, So there's some questions here, but, I mean, 6'5, 220 uh, with a high 90s fastball... Uh, pretty attractive package here and looks like the type of a guy that, um, you know, with with some work and some improvement could stay in the rotation and be uh, be an important piece down the road. But worst case scenario, looks like a right handed reliever down the road, too.
1: Yeah, I was reading about him and it, and it did say that the Red Sox were uh, I think it was Matt Collins at Over the Monster, uh, but it might have been uh, Alex Spear. Uh
0: yeah, uh, they're two they're pretty much interchangeable. I, I was waiting
1: I was waiting for that. Um uh saying that the Red Sox were likely not to use him as a reliever, but obviously it's speculation as he's been uh not even property, but potential uh member of the Red Sox organization for less than uh, 24 hours. But he seems like the best of what you're going to be able to get at the end of the first round which is signing issues aside uh for why somebody might fall you're going to get someone who has the makeup to be anywhere from a contributor at the major league level to a star and there are or or even less than a contributor maybe but hopefully a contributor to a star and uh you just see how it goes he seemed It seemed very straightforward. He was in a lot of the who might the Red Sox pick uh, discussions. He was right there. It seems fairly straightforward to me.
0: Yeah, and it it certainly feels a need to. I mean, the Red Sox need just about everything in their farm system right now, and we'll get to that a little bit later because we've been a little bit negligent in in covering the farm system this year. Um, But, yeah, I mean – it seems like totally a Dave Dombrowski pick here. Uh, you know. He, he does tend to like these very big right-handed pitchers, although he does love the crap out of lefties too. Look at our rotation here uh, with the Red Sox. But um, there were some people, it seemed like, in these mocks that were a little bit surprised that he even did fall to the Red Sox. So that's a good thing too. So I think overall this is a selection you can't be upset about. Pretty good player uh, at this range and you know you, you never really know what these guys either but um, let's look at a little bit further down the list um, what they got here um, with their second selection they picked Cole Brandon uh, a high school outfielder from Georgia he's a lefty bat potential five tool guy uh, center field profile good speed uh, power hasn't played in games as much um, so far but um, somebody that they can kind of dream on a little bit. Uh, and then going down, uh, I'll go down in the sixth round here. Uh, Brett Netzer is the third-round pick, second baseman out of UNC Charlotte. Uh, good college bat there, uh, which is always one of the safer plays in the draft. Uh, Jake Thompson, a righty arm out of Oregon. Uh, he's 6'2". Uh, Alex Scherf, uh, a prep righty, uh, meaning uh, for those of you without, thought uh, I should have prefaced the terminology here, prep. Uh, anytime we say prep, we're referring to people in high school. Uh, and then Zach Schellinger, um, who's a college ready, another college arm out of Seton Hall. He's six foot six. So the thing that kind of stands out to me out of all these these top six picks here is that uh, the Red Sox were going pretty heavy on big right-handed starters, um, and that's certainly an area of need for them. Uh, developing pitching has been the single biggest knock uh, on this system over the last ten years.
1: Yeah, I thought the trend was that they were just picking by the whitest names possible. And I say that mostly because of Taylor Hawk and Cole Brennan as the first two players, which is really, if you're drafting a yachting team, those two guys would be great.
0: Yeah, Taylor and Cole, that's beautiful.
1: Right, and uh, Cole, uh, obviously, the the power is unsure, so he's, you know, Bryce Harper's a phenom. I just watched a, a video of Colburn and sprinting today, and he has Bryce Harper hair, so that's Ooh. good. Um, Flow it does adds se-
0: power; it's it's been proven.
1: Yes, yeah. Well, it adds also uh, fighting power, as we saw in the the hairiest brawl of all time. Uh, but it's interesting to me, and I think it's uh, sort of this is an overused term, but Belichick in uh, in that they keep first of all. The fact they keep picking center fielders is often a result of the fact that the best athletes play center field until they get to a level at which they can't play it anymore so the red sox obviously have a lot of center fielders but it does interest me uh and i think is generally uh a a good commonly accepted practice is you if you pick a center fielder you have a lot more flexibility and the red sox Especially in the outfield, have nothing if not flexibility. So at least now they don't just have it on the major league level. Hopefully they added it uh, in the system as well.
0: Yeah, and and it's clear from the selections too that um, if there was any doubt that teams don't draft for need typically in this, they just draft for talent. Um, you know, these are all positions aside from the pitchers that we were talking about, but like second base and outfield, uh, the, the Sox are obviously loaded uh, at the major league level there. Um, but it's nice to see some of these guys get in the system, and uh, hopefully they stay there for a while. I thought that the seventh pick overall, Tyler Esplin, who we haven't talked about yet, was a really interesting selection too because this is a a high school kid who really we don't know much about at all. He's 17 years old, 6'4", 225. um, Pretty impressive stats at the uh, IMG Academy, which has produced a whole crap load of draft picks in recent years um that's a really interesting play it seems like with these uh outfield guys they're really shooting for the moon in terms of upside and with the pitchers they're sort of playing it a little bit more safe and maybe hoping to develop a little bit more of that back end depth
1: well thank you for splitting your uh views on uh Esplin. i just i can't help myself with terrible puns I, I would
0: golf clap there but it doesn't deserve one
1: no it doesn't uh I think I, I was going to actually say about how that it was a very clear case of best available yeah. uh, especially for a organization that needs everything and the one thing I'll just amend something you said I, I definitely agree especially in baseball get, get your best availables don't worry about positions but I think almost you can separate out pitchers I think pitchers it Every team in the history of baseball has needed more pitching at all times. So, I mean, look at the Mets last year. Last year you would have been like – not would have been like. The entire world was like, can you believe this Mets rotation, especially if Zach Wheeler comes back healthy? And now this year the Mets can't pitch. It's insane. Uh, So you always need pitching. So it's almost separate. uh, And that's a longer way of saying that uh, I like – the bulk pitchers uh scenario and then just to piggyback on one thing you said about outfielders they have every reason to shoot for the moon because frankly they don't need depth right now they have young outfielders who are going to be in the league for a while if they get someone who's just as good as them they'll find a place for them but they don't need depth at the moment yeah
0: i totally agree with everything you just said there that makes total sense One more uh, observation that I had from these guys, and this kind of goes back to um, my initial, I guess, hypothesis when Anderson Espinosa was traded. Uh, One of the things that I tried to do to justify it was kind of think about things that it appears, you know, qualitatively, that Dave Dombrowski has preferred over the years. And and a few of those things are good catcher defense, um, good center fielder, um, and Big pitchers, and all of the guys that he drafted uh, this year were six-two and over. Uh, and 6'2, 6'3 is pretty much widely considered the ideal pitcher height uh, because you know it's a good combination of size uh, and not too lanky that you tend to have trouble with your release point and things like that. Um, so I think that you know maybe we can read something into that that you know this is very much a Dave Dombrowski draft here. Uh, this time and that he is kind of filling in the gaps with some of those those big pitchers that he tends to like so much
1: yeah i i would say that that would probably be the weakest i mean that that seems it seems to me to be a very standard bulk play i don't think that there's i don't want to belittle dombrowski but i don't know how advanced of a strategy this is now it doesn't have to be an advanced strategy if you get the right guys. And that's the whole point of doing it in bulk. I will say that one thing that Dombrowski does well doesn't relate, sort of relates to the draft, is the one thing he has done well is when there has been an amazing player for that's been available, three times he's gone out and gotten those players. Now, Scherzer wasn't amazing when they traded for him, but everyone knew he was good. Um, but with Cabrera and Scherzer and Sale, that's quite this quite a resume um, to have there. So he does that well. I I uh, I don't know. I mean, he. This is sort of switching topics a bit, but the Thornburg thing is coming back to bite them. I know you talking about Espinoza. You said you tried to justify it. You obviously <laughs> failed because you hate the trade. Right, yeah. <laughs> so so you failed to justify it to yourself, and uh, you know that's fair enough. I I do think that just Pomerance is a major league pitcher he's an incredibly frustrating one at times but he is a major league pitcher we don't need to relitigate it again uh, but I I don't know if Dombrowski has a grand plan for this team or is sort of just trying to uh, exist from one moment to the next and he doesn't have to do it either way and I don't think it would help either way I will say that I think that still, he, he has been exactly what we thought he would be.
0: Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think Dave Dombrowski has come in here and done exactly what we thought he was. If, if what he has done has surprised anybody, you haven't paid attention to uh, Dave Dombrowski and what he's done at other stops. So that is totally true. I'm going to drop the gauntlet down here to any of our listeners, too who uh, spend a lot of time in front of computers and want to put together a nifty spreadsheet for us. But I would be very curious to see what Dave Dombrowski's draft track record is like. I haven't seen an article on that yet, but I would love to see it. Because we know, and we saw all these articles when Dave Dombrowski was sort of being courted as a a potential replacement for Ben Charrington. We saw all the articles about, you know, in 70 to 80% of the big trades that he makes, he actually comes out on top and... you you can't deny the record that he's had of success with those, those trades. It seems like, you know, at, at, uh, the, the, the small sample size that we've seen so far, it seems a little bit more like 50, 50 at this point, but the guy's good at that, but I'm not so sure that he's good at drafting. So I, I am curious. I found an article
1: on, uh, found an article on bless you boys, uh, talking about his best and worst tigers drafts. um, and Let's hear
0: some of it. I want to hear what his
1: best well, is. Well, I mean, he picked Verlander second overall, which...
0: Okay, not exactly a genius pick, but...
1: Yeah, uh, but then, on, you know, on the flip side, in that was 2000 and... Did I say 4-4? Four, four. The previous year, they picked Kyle Sleaf third overall, and he wow. never even made it to Toledo. Wow. Um, so that is bad. There's a lot of busts here. Uh, as far as good picks, uh, Cameron may been sort of later in the draft. Uh, in 2002, Curtis Granderson in the third round. That's a really good one. Uh, but he, you know, Granderson has put up a lot of his value not for the Tigers. You know, it doesn't look great. And i, I he was never expected to be great at this, but – he doesn't want to live up to those expectations. Uh, We'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Groom obviously can solve a lot of problems on that front. If, uh, if, if he lives up to his potential, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I'm stubborn and I did the research, I do want to let everybody out there know um, that uh, the Red Sox success rate with Prep outfielders, uh, specifically center fielders, because you've mentioned before how much they like to draft center fielders, and most teams do because of the athleticism. Um, The last three that have been taken in the top two rounds uh, by the Red Sox are Raymond Fuentes, Jason Place, and Mickey Hall. Um, That is about all the explaining that needs to be done there. It hasn't been three Hall of
1: Famers.
0: Three Hall of Famers. There's definitely a hall in there. There's definitely yeah. a hall. yes, yes there is. There's a hall, a place, and a Raymond. Um, but yeah, it's it's not pretty, and, and that's kind of that's kind of representative of what the risk is to take a high school bat. You know, for every um, for every star that's out there, there's 20 to 30 of these first or second rounders that just turn into absolutely nothing. So not exactly shocking there. But let's look at the system as a whole here a little bit because the Red Sox don't have a particularly strong system anymore Um, in large part due to all the trades that were made and and I'm definitely not condemning them all a lot of them are producing huge value for the Red Sox right now Craig Kimbrell and Chris Sale are probably the two best players on the team so you have to be happy with that but uh, again tying back to the great work that uh, our our fellows over at uh, Sox Prospects do um, they just re-ranked their prospects for June and they had Predictably, Rafael Devers, uh, Jason Grom, and Sam Travis is their top three. And then the way that they explained it, guys number four through about 40 were not that different. And probably – I'll, I'll, I'll give them a little bit of credit. I think they said four through like 25 aren't that different. But really, like looking at it now, 20 – any of those guys all the way up to like 45, would it really shock you if any of them um, makes strides and ends up being better than the number four guy? Bottom line is here that there's just not a whole ton of good depth in the Red Sox system. It's Devers, huge gap, Jason Grom, another huge gap, Sam Travis, and then a Grand Canyon size gap, Uh, and then Josh Occamy, who they ranked number four. I probably wouldn't have had Occamy four there, but nonetheless, it just speaks to kind of how barren this system is. Uh, rounding at the top ten, they had Occamie, Chatham, Lakins, Chavis, Dahlbeck, uh, Brian Johnson, and Nick Um uh, Not exactly names you'd think of to be in the top ten of a system.
1: Well, Brian Johnson did throw a complete game shutout in the majors. He did do that, yep. That's, I mean, that was sort of amazing. It I,
0: was super amazing.
1: It's it's incredible. I, I hope that. I hope we get to see more. You know, I I wonder how how long he would have to pitch in the majors to do it again. And it's not a knock on him. Almost every pitcher doesn't do it in a given year, uh, if unless you're Max Scherzer and you do it like half the time. But uh, that's. Uh, this you know this explains the bo- the, a re- the reason the Sox are picking similar types of prospects in bulk uh especially the pitchers and as long as they have a solid major league team which they obviously do and a uh, some real prospects who are three or four which they do have that's okay the question then and I know this is something we're going to get to is will any of those prospects be traded because obviously there are places where the Sox could use some help Dave Dombrowski likes to trade is he going to be able to trade anything but the good prospects that's I think that's a bigger issue I don't think it's the system in and of itself it's the system uh as a uh resource pool
0: yeah i mean we'll we'll certainly get to that and we'll talk about who they could trade and and who they could not trade but i think that um looking at what dave dombrowski did last year in his draft which was the first one that he had with the team if i'm correct is that is that right it was the first one
1: last year. i believe it was yeah um
0: Interestingly enough, aside from the Jay Grom pick, which was sort of a no-brainer because no one figured he would fall to 12 there, he drafted very similarly um, last year to what he did this year. I'm looking at it right now. Sean Anderson, Mike Sharwin, Stephen Nagosik, um, Matthew Gorst, um, those were all the top right-handed pitchers selected last year, and they were all college arms as well. So it seems like... He's really kind of got a theme going here, and and all of those guys kind of share a commonality. Right now, all of those players are considered to be future relievers um, by most people who like prospects uh, and know a lot about them. So, um, is he drafting the right type of guys? Is he drafting high enough ceiling guys? I don't think we know that. But your your question is is to, you know what can he trade and what will he trade from this. I don't know that it is going to really impact the team's future all that much if he trades most of the guys below Jay Grom. You know, I it will and it won't. So this is an interesting discussion that, that we can have right now. So the what the Red Sox are running into right now is that they're their option B, C, D, E, F. They're just not where they should be. You know, if, if you had a guy like Dubon in the system or something like that, that would be the player who's up rather than Devin Barrera. So it pushes everything down to the point where the Red Sox have to think about bringing up guys that no major league team should really think about bringing up, and they find themselves signing random guys off of the waiver wire. Um, so in that respect... It hurts the team, but in terms of like, are the Red Sox if they trade anybody below Grom, are they going to miss out on anybody who's going to come back and bite them and become an All Star? Um, probably not, you know. So it just
1: and even so, who cares? I mean, if if it if somebody else, you know, strikes strikes gold, that's fine. If you have a map where there might be gold. Two percent of the time, and you give it to somebody else, and they, it works. Honestly, good for them. It's more the guys at the top. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really care. The, the the question we're getting toward is, if we want to trade for a, th- let's just say a third baseman hypothetically, okay? Yeah. Do we want to get rid of Sandoval's contract enough that we would trade one of the good prospects along with him to make it happen.
0: When you say good prospect, do you mean one of the top two guys?
1: Whatever it would take, so probably. So I don't think that there's
0: any scenario where Dave Dombrowski would trade the top two, either of the top two prospects for... A third baseman, or to get rid of Pablo Sandoval's contract. I just, okay. So, I just don't so, see that scenario.
1: No, no, no. But my my point is that, to me, mm-hmm. it makes it it it's not a great option because you have Pablo Sandoval, which may, means there's no good options. So, the the point we're starting at is there's no good options. Right. So we're choosing among bad ones. And my point being that if they can get rid of tens of millions of dollars in salary and somehow offset it with potential from a prospect, I'm fine with that. Now, as I say it, I realize that the Red Sox, if they give away Sandoval, they're going to pay a lot of the contract anyway. So I think it's probably not going to work that way. But... In that case, if you could trade for a decent third baseman and trade one of the prospects with Sandoval, financially, how much money are you going to make if that prospect, in 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 value, uh, over the course of their controlled years, how much money are you going to make before you... Uh, Before it's equal to them taking on the contract. Equal, and how likely is that? Because it's not likely at all that they're going to produce that much value at all because the Sandoval contract sucks. So it's a random number that they shouldn't otherwise be expected to hit. But in this case, if you're thinking about it from strictly a uh, uh, black and red ink perspective heading in, you would think about it that way, right?
0: Yeah, if you're making a purely economic argument, you know, if you're not considering the fact that these are the Boston Red Sox and they have extremely wealthy owners and that they No, no it's
1: they not w- purely it's it's not purely economic because it would make them better this year. So it's not purely economic.
0: Well maybe it would make them better, right? Because you're talking about trading let's just call it Jason Grom and Pablo Sandoval to a team to take on Pablo Sandoval's deal, right? essentially addition by subtraction
1: here yes but but it also depends on who it would be now i think that let's just like todd frazier and my my my, mike Moose tacos i know that's not his you say it but come on Moose tacos i would eat a moose taco of course you would um my mom lives in alaska we we can arrange this we'll get to that later uh yes uh but I don't know if those guys would be guys I would do it for. Let me just put that out there, regardless of if it puts you in the black ink. I'm just saying in a, I guess, more hypothetical world, or there was another third baseman who who's getting a lot of trade buzz. I can't remember. Anyhow, that's that's my t- – I don't think it's necessarily ridiculous. But
0: I want to get back to that, that economic argument, though, there, because I think there is something really interesting that you hit on there is that – It is very unlikely that even if they did just like a pure salary dump for Pablo Sandoval, if they were like, all right, we need to find a team to take the 60-whatever-million that he has left on his deal, um, and we're going to give them Jay Grom to make that happen. The likelihood that Jay Grom ever equals $60 million of war, essentially, um, in his controllable years is very low. It's not even that.
1: It's even worse than that. It's even worse than that, because he has, for not because Grom is bad. He needs to do that beyond what they pay him. So it's not even the right. war. I mean, yes, it's above replacement. But, yeah, he needs to do that at and he needs to do it when he's under a cheap salary. He can't do it later in his career. He needs to do it early on for that vo- for that value to matter.
0: Right, and we're not arguing for that to happen because it doesn't make any sense for an organization like the Red Sox to do something like that because they can just uh, as easily they, Castillo I, uh, him and eat the money.
1: Well, the, the talent's well.
0: more valuable to the Red Sox right now than the money is. Mm. With the state of the system, I don't know how you could argue against that.
1: Mm. I don't know because... They're so stocked at the major league level that a relief of like fifty million dollars. I know they're big business. I argue this. This is why I was fine with the Sandoval signing and still am, for that matter. Um, it didn't turn out right, but that's you know that's basically because he was hurt. It wasn't a great signing. I'll I'll give them that, but they needed bodies and they've just picked the they, wrong one. They picked the biggest one. Right, exactly. So they thought they were getting value. It's, it turns out it worked the opposite way. Yeah. But um, So I don't necessarily think it was the worst thing that happened, but $50 million is a lot of money. It's 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 like this is just what David Dave Chappelle said when he quit, walked away from Chappelle's show and his stand-up, he finally gave not the recent ones, but it's like oh yeah you know you think that oh i was so at peace and everyone was so happy with it it's like no when you come home and tell your wife that you walked away for 50 million dollars she gets angry <laughs> it's like it's just a lot of money i understand what you're saying it's still a lot of money
0: yeah i get that part of it as well um it'll be interesting i mean i guess this brings brings us to the larger question here as is to you know the team is performing pretty well it's if the if the playoffs were to start today, the Red Sox would be in it. But I don't think that, you know, based on any of anybody really who is a fan of the team, who's watched a lot of the Red Sox this year, I can't I I can't help but to think that you're focusing a lot on the issues that the team has, and they are many, even though the team has been successful. And it's not to say that they haven't had a lot of strengths too. They certainly have. They've had awesome performances from very many players. But there certainly is an element of watching this team that makes you think, hey, there's something that's incomplete about it. So I wanted to know from you, um, Brian, what do you think is the biggest issue on the team? Is it third base? Is it reliability at starting pitcher? Um, you know, Is it the ro- roster flexibility issues that have been created by um, the issues at third base and Hanley Ramirez not being able to play first? Like, What's the biggest hiccup to this team right now and where do they need to address
1: uh there's two there's one that's off the field there's one that's on the field the off the field one is that uh Dave Dombrowski made trades for two relievers who haven't been able to play now the relievers have actually been somewhat good recently but this is all of this is I mean it sounds like Tyler Thornburg I I'm almost at the point where I'd be surprised if Tyler Thornburg ever pitched for the Red Sox um Or anyone, for that matter, in the next couple of years at least. Carson Smith might be back. But that obviously is sort of separate because we knew these guys were going to be out at least for a while. Third base is a huge problem. And here's here's how I know it is. The Red Sox are not bad. The Red Sox are good. They have the third best record in the American League. uh, And they are winning right now. And they have about the seventh best record overall. They're good they're seven games above 500 in uh before mid-june that's very good i think sandoval is not just emblematic of a lot of the problems they have he is also the source of them like if he is both emblematic of the problem of fielding at third base and the source of a lot of it not all of it but a lot of it uh i think that the as the catcher position has shown if you're gonna rotate through players that's fine but you can't have one that's like an an albatross right and if if sandoval wasn't getting paid bazillions of dollars it wouldn't be a big deal i think you if they get him off the team there's there's some sort of pall lifted that probably because it's that simple doesn't really exist we feel like it does I will admit like, obviously the team has been chippy. They, you know, price yelled at Evan Uh, they fall with the Orioles and all that nonsense. I mean, that is sort of normal, but the fact that the team couldn't even get on the same page wasn't, I don't think that this team, I mean, they're almost doing as well as they could be. And, uh, I, with Pablo I
0: Sandoval is a problem, right? That's what you mean. They're doing as well as they can contextually with, like, Pablo? All,
1: no. Oh, with you mean David, all things considered? With David Price having missed two months and being bad when he does pitch. Okay. With Eduardo Rodriguez getting hurt. With Drew Pomeranz being able to pitch five innings at best most nights. With David Ortiz being retired. With Andrew Benatendi slumping for all of May. But Mookie had a long things,
0: slump recently,
1: too. Mookie had a huge slump. Yep. All these things, and this team is seven games above 500. and I think you – I almost jumped in earlier, but I think you're right. Chris Sale, Craig Kimbrell, that is why they are still in it. Absolutely. And even if they give a little bit back, I think the team has so much to grab to the other you know, 23 players or however, 38. They – I think they're just going to get better as the season goes on. I I also – go ahead, sir. I
0: I am surprised, though, that you even considered Carson Smith and Tyler Thornburg to be some of the the issues on the team because when I look at the relief pitchers and how they've performed this year, fourth in ERA, fifth in whip, second in walks – Uh, per nine I mean this team has been really good with its relief pitching this year and I think we keep seeing that from time to time I mean it's not every night sometimes we see a Heath Hembry like last night give up a big blast but um, you know oftentimes what we're seeing is guys like Matt Barnes come in in a huge spot like he did last night or Craig Kimbrell do what he's doing which is insane or um, you know Joe Kelly having that huge uh, performance against Aaron Judge. I think the bullpen's been great. When I look at areas to worry, it's been you know, the starting pitchers get hit really easily. They give up a ton of home runs, and the team just doesn't hit bombs. They're 28th in the league in home runs still. And I think that uh, you can look at the zero production offensively that they've pretty much gotten from third base as a huge reason why. And I think the other way you have to look when you're talking about Home runs is Hanley. I mean, he's been not himself this year. He's got eight home runs, but eight home runs is hardly indicative of the offensive force that he's been so far.
1: Right, but who do they trade for Tyler Thornburg? Well, Shaw, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's not in a vacuum. It's that we tried to move value around, and instead it disappeared. Um, that's, that is more... Look, it... And the part of the reason I say this is there's a, it's like the bullpen has been great. I'm not it's not um, nothing against that. It's just there was a it's been a loss of value, and it's not something that I attribute to John Farrell, but it is something that I understand he has had to deal with as a manager. Um, it just uh, so if. If we're judging the team as a whole, they lost value in that entire equation. So, uh, disappointment maybe not. Yes, overstated. Third are base. You, third base is the problem. Are you in favor of
0: the Red Sox trading in season for a third baseman? Yes. Are
1: I you, think that. I think that. There. This is the clear situation, where it makes sense. You're not overextending yourself. You're not trying to get someone for the sake of getting someone. They need a third baseman.
0: So I agree, and I think that the Red Sox are not in as bad a position to trade for a third baseman as many people think. Uh, And I don't think that they're going to have to even look at those top three prospects in Devers, Grom, and Travis to make that happen. Even if it is for a Todd Frazier or a Mike Moustakis, I don't think they're going to have to look there. I think that they've had good enough performances from some of the mid-level guys, like Michael Chavis has been swinging a really hot bat this year. Bobby Dahlbeck has been injured but still has kind of a lot of value. Um, and they have a plethora of these right-handed arms that you know could be back in, starters potentially, definitely look like future bullpen guys in Anderson, Sharwin, um rowdies uh jamie callahan's had a really good year steven negosix had a good year um all of those guys i think could be part of that trade package i wouldn't be surprised if something happened like a uh, a package of um chavis uh Sharwin and jalen beaks um for mike mustakis something like that i think would be uh, very, very doable, and I would hate to give up Beeks there because he's a, a good lefty, I think, that can play out of the pen and could potentially be a back-end guy uh, for the Red Sox in the future, but I don't think that it's going to look like all that much on paper when when, and if the trade does happen.
1: Well, and that's what you just said. You said those type of players are the type of players where if you trade... Well, no. I said it. You said... I said that, you know, he traded and they hit the lottery. You know what? It's it's like I feel good for the guy, you know. It's it's I I am uh, I try as hard as I can when a player leaves the Red Sox to continue to wish the best for them and not let it reflect back on the Red Sox. That that's just a thing I try to do because I feel like if you if you're constantly looking at it from did the Red Sox get screwed or not, you're not taking into account that if the, like Travis Shaw. Travis Shaw left, there are certain writers online who like to constantly remind us that Travis Shaw used to be a Red Sox. I understand that. You know what? I feel good for Travis Shaw.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do do any of us think that Travis Shaw is going to continue to do what he's doing this year? Like, we saw that. We saw that from Travis Shaw last year for the Red Sox. And we also saw the second half when he was barely playable for the Red Sox um, and not playable to some degree. So, yeah maybe he has made some strides there and like we're happy for him i really cheered on for da- daniel nava at the game yesterday uh when i when i saw him because i have good memories of him and you know travis Shaw was a good guy when he was here i'm i'm happy for him too but uh, yeah day, well, no, not, yeah like, nava, uh,
1: nava beat the almost beat the stuffing out of us last night but
0: Nava was awesome last
1: night he was amazing he not just the hitting like the fielding too dude it was incredible
0: so to, to preemptively prepare for this this third base trade um, I do want to kind of highlight a few guys who I really like who are not in that top three prospects here if you can give me a second to to kind of nerd out about some of these prospects but the the guy who I really don't want to see included in any of those deals, Um, is down at number 13 on SoxProspects.com, which is Brian Mata. Um, He was a J2 signing. He's 18 years old. He's playing in Greenville. I think he's the second youngest player at the level right now. Um, He has come up and made, I think it's three or four starts now, Um, and he's got an ERA of like 1.71 in a strikeout per inning. Um, He's the type of guy that uh, is not – all that different from Anderson Espinosa, a guy that could really rise pretty fast in the ranks. He doesn't have quite that electric of stuff, um, but he's not that dissimilar either. Uh, so I really like him. I really like Beaks, who I referenced before, um, left handed pitcher who just got promoted to Pawtucket. So he's super close. He's a guy who the Red Sox could actually um, potentially use this year, either as a left handed reliever or as a spot starter if they really need one, if they get desperate. Um, and then I really like Dahlbeck still. I know he has the string and miss issues, but he has prodigious power. He killed the New York Penn League last year, which is predictable from a guy who you know, played in the College World Series. Um, but I think that that injury that he has, um, he's dealing with some hand and wrist soreness, um, probably has affected his swing quite a bit this year. So I don't want to get too down on what he's done this season, which hasn't been pretty. Um, and then the last guy I want to highlight is just... Um, one of these guys who's a valuable depth guy, who I think that we don't really talk about, and most Red Sox prospect guys don't talk about much, and it's Danny Mars. Uh, he plays at uh, A Portland right now. Um, he's kind of one of these outfielders that doesn't have a standout tool. He's a little bit more of a slap hitter, but somebody who looks like he could play all three outfield positions and do so in a backup role uh, for the, the big league roster. and We've seen how valuable that is this year. You know, we we know what the value of depth is. So I kind of just like Danny Mars as a as a depth guy to stick around. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of those guys or any of the other guys lower in the system that you kind of like a little bit?
1: I like Brian Mata because he spells his first name the correct way. Uh, but I am looking at his uh, his uh, Sox prospects page and it looks good. But yeah, B R Y A N, uh, that's the way to go. So. Yeah. He's good. In my, he's Brian Johnson. You're, you're, you're out. Brian Model, you're in.
0: There you go. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. But I think that, uh, from listening to um, some of the more prospect-focused things recently too, it seems like the Red Sox might be running into a situation where, um, come the Rule Five Draft, they aren't able to protect everybody too. So you could see some, some real three for. Three for ones or four for ones or something like that to get a slightly uh, better prospect, too, because the Red Sox aren't going to be able to protect all of these guys. And since they've got a, sort of a logjam of mediocrity down there, um, something is going to have to give. Um, we did get a listener question this week from Richard McHugh. He said,
1: Is a trade. We didn't get works? it this week. We didn't get it this week. Oh, it was last week. Uh, no, no, it, it was, was last month. <laughs> it was two months ago.
0: No, no, that was the old one. This one came from. Uh, from June
1: oh, 9th. oh uh, June 9th. All right, yeah, Richard. This week. Let, let's do this, Richard.
0: Uh, he says, is a trade in the works or will the team try and refocus? Um, Brian, I think you're pretty much in the camp that a trade is going to be in the works. And I kind of agree with you. I, I really yes, you know, because you know,
1: we have this. We're we bunking right next to each other at the camp.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep, that is, that is exactly true. Let me ask you this, though, to kind of go off of that question a little bit. The Red Sox make a trade. They go out. They get Mike Moustakis. And he comes in and plays decent third base defense and doesn't make a million errors and bops a couple home runs. How much better does that make this team?
1: Much. And l- let me just explain why. Do you remember uh, how much, how unenthusiastic the. Red Sox fan community, of which you and I are a part on Twitter, were about Mitch Moreland? Yes. Right.
0: I was right. part of the unenthusiastic crew who pointed right. out to everybody that he had a 300 uh, on-base percentage, like two out of the last three seasons.
1: Right. Uh, you, do, If you can just be – if Moustak has come in and be average, he'll look great. If he can he be, be Mitch good. Good Moreland – if he can be good, I think Mitch Moreland has been good. He has if he can be really good, good, he'll look amazing. So I think that it will be a, it would be a big difference.
0: Does that stabilize the offense enough? Because the offense has sputtered. The offense looks better on paper it than does. it actually think... does in reality because this is an offense that goes off certain nights and then doesn't come to play at all. I think – I I don't remember exactly what well, the they stat was. They come to play. Don't... They just
1: get owned.
0: Right, right, but they're, they're getting on to the point where I think they're number one or two in baseball in terms of most shutouts or most games with two or fewer runs this season. Like, they they have a, a significant portion of complete stinkers. Uh, and then they'll go off and put up 13 one night. And on paper, it looks like everything's okay, but really, it's not okay.
1: Uh, No... I mean, I think it's okay. <laughs> um,
0: so how – explain to, to me this then. So how does an offense like this consistently compete, though, if if you're going to be an offense that's prone to being shut down, especially well, by
1: starting okay. pitchers,
0: which has he, been a, a big thing for them this season?
1: Okay, here's how. A, you have Mookie Betts. Okay, he's going to be fine. He had, he had a down, down period. He's fine. B, you have Pedroia. He hits well when he's healthy. He seems fine. Xander is great. Benitendi had a really tough six weeks or so. He seems to be okay now. Morland is hitting again. He hit really well. He went into the tank a little bit. Hit again. Hanley. Okay. Hanley last year... Hanley has nine home runs this year, and he just came five feet away from a tenth. He had four at this point last year. And then he just started hitting well. Now, is this going to happen? I don't know. But he's done it more often than he hasn't at some point in his career over a full season, you know? On top of that, Jackie Bradley Jr. is in one of his hot streaks. All I'm saying is that if you add Mustakas to this, you are taking away the possibility that a slump from one of the guys you expect to hit is going to make it look like the whole thing is being, the whole operation is being torpedoed because if Moustakas can just hit like an average player, it, it should be good enough to uh, raise, raise it up. I mean, look, Marrero he even had a couple home runs in a game, which is great, but third base has just been such a sinkhole that it is easy to project our frustrations with different slumps on it. I don't think that the Red Sox offense is all that challenge. I think they've been really good. They've had very, as you've noted, they've had very conspicuous no-shows. But that's not a new phenomenon that happens to very good teams a lot. It's just a matter of can they be decent and aggregate. This is why last night's game I thought was really important. They were down 4 nothing in the beginning of the game, and they come came back to win in extras. That's This really isn't the type of game they've had yeah. this season. I was uh, actually
0: at that game last night, and it was... A good feeling to not feel like they were out of it because they did hit every inning.
1: Parcello, what? Did you boo Parcello? I didn't.
0: I didn't okay. have the heart to. But he really does okay. look broken right now. And I and mean... it has been noted that that release points like a, almost two inches lower than it was last year for the sinker, um, and like, it's it's not good. Like, he's going out there and he's battling, and I give him credit for that. Like he's throwing his hundred pitches and is doing it and he's trying but he is not himself right now
1: yeah but you know what the funny part is is that him not himself is just what Drew Pomeranz is cuz he's
0: he's a professional i mean Pomeranz has been in the big league since he's 20 years old this guy knows how to work i'm not worried about no, no i
1: didn't mean that as a compliment to pomeranz oh just, yeah pomeranz at his best is what porcello is now at his worst oh no i don't mean <laughs> you know, I don't Hold on. I don't mean on a given night, because yeah. obviously on a given night, Pomerantz can be part of the most prodigious strikeout uh, operation the game has ever seen. Yeah. But uh, just as sort of in general, Pomerantz's range of outcomes when he's pitching well enough is Rick Porcell's range of outcomes when he's not. Yeah. I,
0: I agree with that. I, I did, you know, I'll, I'll read off my, my observations, too, from last night, too, and you can kind of touch on any of these. Um, I thought it was awesome to see Mookie Betts hit three doubles, and just watching that in person was really impressive. Um, four innings.
1: He had three doubles in four innings.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. It was really, really cool. And it was cool because he is obviously turning a corner offensively, and when this guy gets hot, like, he's just scary. He is so good. He has no holes in his game. Like now he's batting off
1: and he's just which means honestly it'll be what like 12 15 extra bats over the course of the year. Oh. But you know what? They add up. Yeah. They add up.
0: uh Ben Intendi got back on track. Um he had that home run. He looked good at the plate. Um I have zero worries about him. Um Jackie Bradley Jr. Um this is something we talked about probably 3 weeks ago. Um when Matt Corey was on Uh, was, you know, what do they do with JBJ when he gets in these slumps? And what we've seen this year so far is that their slump that he had was much, much shorter um, than slumps that he's had in the past, and he had been a guy who slumps for months at a time. Um, So seeing JBJ pull out of that gives me a lot more confidence that the gains that we've seen with his bat are real gains going forward where he has kind of figured out, uh, how to not slump like that. And I think that's really important. Uh, well, you
1: know what? And I think it's about not what they do, it's what they don't do. When he starts hitting, he batted second once this year uh, when Pedroia was hurt. That was it. He has batted sixth or lower, I or think, seventh, tr- right? He's batted ninth. He's batted yeah. eighth. Uh, he bats eighth a lot. And I think that that is what they did. I think what they did is they're they're not going to make him they're not going to make him hit they're going to put him in a position where if he's going to hit it's going to help the team the most because obviously there's something going on in the dude's head that makes him hit for some period of time and not hit for others and i think the way they've managed it is to leave him in the bottom half
0: you know whereas- what i didn't realize about him though was that his batted ball distribution this year is practically perfect to every field like it's it's almost a complete even split. Left field, right sense. field, center field. The guy's a great hitter. When he's Well, talks. you
1: know, he's he's the he is the Red Sox poster child for the modern game. I mean he might just be the, the league one of the League Wild poster childs. Like children, he's great at defense except for throwing the ball, which he can't do anymore. Um but he is good at hitting home runs. He, he swings really hard. He strikes out prodigiously. And he uh, walks up T, to T.I. Songs. He walks up to T.I. Songs. He, uh, you know, he's he hits bombs and he does a good launch angle. Uh, but he's not, he's not like a great hitter. He's a good hitter. And, uh,. When he's but he he's a good hitter who only hits great or okay at best.
0: What would your walk-up song be, Brian?
1: You know, uh, it's funny that you ask because I just realized it would be the. Uh, it's very old. It's older than I am. So think about how that is, how okay. old that. It's uh, the the uh, r- the Rubber Band Man by the Spinners. Ooh. There's been yes, that's my favorite song of all time. Now I've had other in my life rap songs that work you know all sorts of different harder songs but that is my songs so that's it that's my song wow that's my walk-in music for anything now anything i have to go in that's it
0: do you when you hear that song do you immediately start walking like Vince mcmahon
1: <laughs> i mean i feel like i am i it's it just it every time i hear it, it gets me going so that's mine what would yours be uh the 1812 overture <laughs> nice <laughs> I'm gonna go even older. no that's that's fantastic though um, <laughs> It will get everyone's attention.
0: Has anybody ever had a classical song for their for their walk-up music? has that ever happened?
1: here's the thing with that one you wouldn't even would you even play the classical song you'd just be playing the the beginning part right?
0: Yeah, probably
1: um, I'm sh- sh- maybe as long as it's not some nonsense country stuff you're good.
0: Uh, you know, Intendi is from Ohio, and you know, I think he's like close to the the Cincinnati area. And every time I hear his walk-up song, I'm like, wait, what? Did we draft this guy? Is he actually from Arkansas? Like, you know, he's he's got some 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 country
1: country tunes. He loves it. Guy You're, loves, from Ma- loves country. You're from Massachusetts, and you know that outside of the cosmopolitan areas of Massachusetts, and uh, even more so in other states. It, it can be very country oh, and, yeah. uh, go, it's
0: popular John, the, here now like three of uh, my favorite alt rock stations growing up all turned to uh, country um, so it's
1: it's popular people like that crap thanks obama that's <laughs> obviously <laughs> what? Wasn't. no it it was a it was a double joke there's layers within layers in that one
0: uh, all right <laughs> Well, one thing that I didn't like about the game last night uh, that I want to mention was the boneheaded idea by Brian Butterfield to send Sandy Leone on a shallow fly ball, um, a really slow-dropping fly ball, uh, and he was gunned the hell out by Oduble Herrera and had zero chance. Like, it wasn't even remotely close. Did you see that play?
1: No. I mean, I watched – I recapped the game for Over the Monster. Somehow I wrote 2,000 words about it. Um But he's so slow. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yes. But yes. But my I am of the general opinion and I understand some people aren't make them throw you out at home. Just make them do it. Uh, I'm cool with I'm fine with it in most cases.
0: I don't know. You didn't have to uh, see. You didn't have to see him run firsthand. It was
1: painful. It looked yeah, like it hurt. I, I was just watching the game cast. So <laughs> I did watch a lot of the game, but also the game lasted forever. So. Well, also I want
0: to give a little bit of a shout out to Daniel Nava because he had a hell of a game. I think what did he end up going three for four last night, um, and like actually doing some damage. I know he was three for
1: three in
0: his three first for three, three at bats.
1: Then he blistered one, but it was right at Pedroia. Right. Yeah. Um, and then and he got he was three for five because he he got out in the in the extras.
0: And he's a hell of a story too. And the fact that this guy has had an MLB career now that's you know going on ten years, it, it's getting close to ten years, right? It's at least seven. Because he was on the team in 2008. Right.
1: Uh,
0: I mean, how long has this guy been? He's we're going to have to look this up because I'm pretty sure has been on the team.
1: anniversary of his home run was yesterday, or his Grand Slam was yesterday, I think. Right. I think it was like seven years. I think you're right. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's impressive. I do think that there's, like, I like him. I've always found he seems smart. He seems affable. But, it, you know, it happens. There's, It happens for a lot of players, and some of them get the treatment where there's, like, it's so cool he's like this and then others don't. And I don't mean – like I, I'm guilty of the same thing, but it's like you never hear these stories about like Latin players, about how happy I am that they are there. It's easy to project them on Daniel Nava for a largely white baseball – white male baseball audience uh, and uh, uh, consumer base, and I get that. Well, he's an
0: old version of Robbie Scott. Right? Like, Robbie Scott's the new guy we look at and, and say the same things.
1: Yeah, I mean, Robbie Scott's Robbie Spots been really good, too. I just care if he's good. And Daniel Nava was good the year he didn't make the All-Star team, but was, like, left off it, though. He, The reason I'm a little bit cold toward him is it became this, like, cause celeb that he should make the All-Star team when he was, you know, the, the he was in the final five vote.
0: He was uh, part of a platoon that year too, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, and it was just so overwrought. Uh, I thought he's better it, than Brock Holt. Brock Holt was an all star. Yeah, but it, the thing about all stars is it's not—it's only relevant to what happened, you know, the given year, the the bell curve of it. Because Brock Holt wouldn't have been an all star many other years. Um I don't so, think Brock Holt's coming back this year. I from what it sounds like, that's the le- you know, that's not really the most of his issues. The question is is he gonna be able to play? Um and I sure hope so. Yeah, Brock Holt is the new Daniel Nava, by the way. Just but Brock Holt is better. I mean he might not be a better hitter, but definitely he's
0: definitely
1: not. He's not a better hitter, but he's the flexibility you know. Yeah. The flexibility helps a lot. He him plays anywhere. He
0: does have better hair, too, than
1: Daniel Nava. Well, he has better hair than a lot of people.
0: But I believe Nava has local ties, right? Wasn't he a Northeastern guy? Wasn't there a connection there?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, Daniel Nava is a really good hitter. I'm not trying to – I just – it's more of the all-star thing that uh, bothered me because at the time I didn't – you know, people on Twitter get very angry, and it's a very silly thing to get angry about. Yeah,
0: Twitter's not worth getting angry about. Everybody's listen awesome. to me. I'll preach. Um, no, don't. Um, I, I have the worst of takes on Twitter, so don't, don't follow me. Well, um, they, look,
1: we, we disagree on things on Twitter, but we agree offline. So there you go.
0: That is very true. Um, so at the end of the day, um, as we're wrapping up this podcast, the, the bottom line here is that. Um, Brian, it seems like you are advocating that the positive regression fairies are going to be on their way and that the Red Sox are essentially the the way that I'm hearing it from you, they're one third baseman away from really being in the thick of things.
1: They're already in the thick of things. That's true, that...
0: true. But they they feel almost like <sighs> I, I... I know that that you feel some element of this. It it doesn't feel like they've played well enough to be here right now. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the way that the Yankees or the Astros, the fact that they are this close in record to the Yankees. I think a Yankee fan would tell you that the season has gone awesome. And I think a Red Sox fan would look at how the season has gone and been
1: like, eh,
0: like it's gone. eh. Right. I I totally
1: agree. And that's why I think that's a cause for optimism because
0: because positive
1: regression yeah, fairies. Yes, and for the Yankees, negative regression fairies. So, I totally agree with that, by the way. Uh, it, I mean, unless Severino is just as good, which he might be, but uh, Tanaka is going to – the flip side of that is that Tanaka will have some positive regression fairies. But I think they will have some other negative regression. I mean – Judge some, isn't
0: this good, right? You can't maintain say. a 450 or you whatever can't. BABIP.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean – but also, if you hit the ball out of the stadium, there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, and if you hit the ball out of the stadium, uh, there's really nothing they can do about it. Uh, that dude is incredible. But, I, yeah, I do think – I think they're going to end up – it's going to be uh, – I think it's going to be a great race because I I actually – I make a ton of incredibly awful predictions. But before the season, I said I think the Red Sox would be little – they'd be – above 500 and they'd claw through, and then it is really in the second half that they would be uh, more clearly uh, look like the team we think they are. And since they've been on that track, I've tried not to worry. Again, I feel what you feel. I'm not denying that. But I think with how good the team has been, it's a cause for uh, optimism ultimately.
0: All right. Well, you have it there. Um, I do agree. Uh, I think that some positive regression is coming, and as long as you don't touch those top two guys, and please also leave Mata and Beaks out of this, um, yeah, go get a third baseman. I, I think that this season is worth getting a third baseman. I think any season where you have a Chris Sale, a Craig Kimbrell, a Mookie Betts, and a Xander Bogarts, all – playing well you go get whatever you know hole that you have and whatever happens to Pablo Sandoval happens to him and I'm not sure what they do with him there I mean what do they do with him in that scenario I guess let's close with that they go out and get a third baseman do they send Pablo down or do they try and pay somebody to take him
1: Uh, if they can't pay someone to take him in a trade I I I don't know I just don't know I mean, are they are they willing to just stick him on the bench and use him as a pinch hitter and fielder? But I don't... Like, last night, he came in as a... He got a hit, and then he booted a ball at third. So, it's in one inning. If he's so, not a
0: starter, he's not a member of the team, in my opinion. Like, he has no value as a bench player. He has no flexibility.
1: Well, he, do, he does. He has a $50 million value as a bench player. Okay. That's the thing. So, he's that's... He's a hot pile of trash. Yeah, but if you... Yeah, I suppose he doesn't have any value. I mean, get rid of him. I mean, <laughs> the guy trade him to San Francisco for uh, I don't know. He'll be good again. He'll go back there. He'll be great. Give we'll us get... Joe Panic, Eduardo Nunez, Joe Panic, anybody. I don't care. Somebody. They're not. They're not going to do that. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right well brian thank you for joining me here today um we got in a a little over an hour of some good sock stock so um guys thank you for continuing to send in questions um please continue to do so Um, i'll tell you how to do that you can go to our website click on any of the podcasts on bp boston um, and when you make i believe your second click on it it'll direct you towards a box where you can uh, submit a question uh, ask anything um, and we will answer it on the show, um, you can also go on to iTunes, Stitcher, rate and review us, you can subscribe to us there, which is a, a good thing to do, that way it ends up right in your phone, or, uh, wherever you listen to it on your computer, um, without you having to do anything, and, uh, if you do like it, please, uh, rate and review us there, and, and, spread the word, so our podcast gets, uh, in more ears, and more popular, um, and uh, Twitter, you can follow Brian Joyner at Brian Joyner, and you can follow me at, at @devjake. Um, and we will give you bad takes uh, over there, so uh, much worse than our than our radio takes here. Um, Brian, you got anything else?
1: No, that's it, man.
0: All right, positive regression ferries on their way. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it.